This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I live alone in a one-bedroom apartment. So, can anyone tell me why there was a woman sitting on my couch watching TV? I was in my room getting some work done when I had gotten a bit hungry and planned on walking to the kitchen to get some leftover Chinese food. My kitchen sits next to the living room, and as soon as I stepped into the dark hallway, I noticed the television was on. I know I never stopped to watch anything on it, so this was an immediate red flag. Thinking that maybe it was updating or maybe Alexa had switched it on by mistake, I walked over to turn it off, but my heart dropped when I saw a woman with oily black hair sitting on my couch watching it. For a moment, I was confused because I knew there was no one here when I walked in, and I knew all the doors and windows were locked. From the time I came home, I hadn't heard anyone break in, so how the hell could a person be sitting there? After the confusion passed, I wanted to walk forward and ask what the hell she was doing in my house, but something screamed that that would be a grave mistake. If anyone has ever experienced sleep paralysis, that's what this feeling was like. I told my body to move, but the primal part of my brain refused vehemently. I slowly crept back inside my room and just waited in silence. At this point... I know you're already screaming at me to call the cops, and trust me, I wanted to. Nothing at that moment would have made me feel better than to have one or two armed police officers there to deal with her so that I didn't have to. But if I'm being honest, I didn't want her to hear me talking. If she'd walked into my room, I'd be trapped. And at that moment, I felt like that'd be a nightmare. After waiting half an hour in silence, I mustered up enough courage to at least observe and see what she was up to. Forcing myself up, I cracked the door open just enough to get a clear view of the hallway and looked at where she was sitting. If I didn't know any better, I'd have thought she had just legitimately stumbled into the wrong house and was relaxing like any normal person, but something... something was off. It almost looked as if she was slumped forward on the couch. Part of me wanted to believe she was sleeping, but what I saw next shattered all hope of that. I haven't measured yet, but eyeballing the distance from my couch to the door, it had to be at least eight or nine feet at the low end. She slowly stood up and made a clumsy effort to walk forward. Her body was horrifying. She was tall, uncomfortably so. If I had to guess, I'd say she was maybe over nine feet with arms that touched the ground and dragged behind her. Her hands each sprouted roughly eleven fingers that had to each be around a foot in length. From what I remember, she was completely naked with sagging skin that hung loosely off her extremely thin body. She was also paler than I thought possible. 
Her skin appeared almost gray, and if I didn't know any better, I'd think her skin belonged to that of someone recently deceased. She didn't move gracefully. She dragged her massive body toward the door and raised her long arm toward the doorknob to pull it open. It almost looked like she had to break her own bones to complete the movement. But as she pulled the door open and moved a spindly leg outside, she stopped. My blood ran cold as she slowly turned her head toward me, and I caught a glimpse of her face. I wanted to scream when I didn't see any eyes. Just a puffy exterior with sagging eye holes and a mouth with long rubbery lips that drooped past her shoulders in a permanent look of anguish. I didn't know if she saw me or if she even had the capability to. All I remember was her turning her head back outside and leaving my home. She shut the door behind her and I was left in silence with my heart pumping faster than it ever had before. I rushed outside with my phone to see if I could catch her on video and... I, I wish I hadn't. I wish I had just closed the door and gone to sleep or gotten drunk and tried to look past the whole fucked up nightmare. But what I saw was... I know it was real. I looked outside in the cold dark and I saw her hanging off the side of a building like a fucking spider. The window of the person above me was open. She was fishing inside, and after a few seconds of searching, she pulled out their son. Her hand was completely wrapped around the head, and I couldn't tell if they were alive or dead by the time she slinked off into the darkness with the young boy. I had caught it all on video. I must have watched that video a hundred times before deleting it. I mean, what the fuck was I supposed to do with it? Do you think the police would believe it's real? Even if they did, what the hell could they do? As a parent, are you better off thinking that your kid ran away? Or knowing that it was taken by an entity that we can't even begin to comprehend? At least with the former, you have hope that maybe you'll see them again. I just... I, I couldn't bring myself to bring up such a crazy notion to a grieving family. Or worse, have them believe me and go looking for something that no one should ever try to find. I knew, as long as I kept it, I'd be tempted to watch it. And every time I'd watched it, I'd be driven further into madness. There have been more stories of missing kids as of late. I've even heard some rumors about pets going missing from people's homes. Surprisingly enough, I even heard a story about a full-grown man disappearing. He was never seen again with absolutely no trace of where he went or why he left. The only thing suggesting any kind of outside force was an open window and a few strands of hair police couldn't match any DNA to. This has taken quite a toll on my life. I tried to find info on this thing, but as far as I know, there's nothing. If anyone out there has a similar experience, please tell me your story or share images of the thing if you have them. I just want to know I'm not crazy. I'm quitting my job tomorrow and staying with my brother on the other side of the country. There's no fucking way I'm sticking around that thing more than I need to. I don't plan on being here much longer, but 
Last night I heard a knocking at my door. I know the next time I see it, I won't be telling a story afterward. But I also know I'm burning this whole damn apartment down with me. There are various definitions and traditions when it comes to the length of a lunar month. An anomalistic lunar month is around 27 days. A synodic lunar month is 29. I know this because I've always been interested in astronomy. I mention it because it's one of the few useful reference points I was able to carry over from the life I had before I went to visit my father two years ago. I used the synodic lunar month as a basis for marking my calendar every month, not because I needed to keep track, but because it allows the illusion of order and sanity. In reality, I keep track of the moon by building pressure at the base of my skull, by the growing volume and frequency of the demands being whispered in the darkest chambers of my mind. Because this isn't a struggle I have once a month, or just in the last days leading up to the moon rising fat and full in the sky. No. Every night, I fight the demon. You look just like I remember. I tried to hide my contempt at the empty platitude. My father hadn't seen me in nearly 30 years, and I'd only been eight at the time. I stood before him now, a grown man older than he'd been when he left, and he wanted to act as though he would recognize me on sight. As though some dishonest reference to some long-forsaken memory would bridge the gap of all those years in a moment. Make me forget the fact that he abandoned his family not just the day he left, but every day since that he hadn't come back. It was too strong a word to say I hated him, though. If anything, my opinion of him was mainly one of disinterest and mild pity. He was in his early 60s, but he looked decades older than that. Whether it was drugs, hard living, or guilt, something had been burning away at him for some time. Maybe, I considered, it was just the cancer. The malignant tumor that lay sleeping and growing fat in his lung, and according to his letter, would see him dead within a month. It wasn't pity that brought me here all the way from my life in Indiana, however. It was the inheritance that he promised if I would come see him just one time before he passed. Fifteen years earlier, pride might have made me crumple the letter up, write him back, telling him to fuck off and keep his money. But that younger version of me didn't have a mortgage or crushing student debt. The me that stood before this twisted ember of a man had seen enough of the world to know that it was a hostile, dirty place that made it more tolerable by money. And money was something my father had plenty of. The day before this arranged meeting, I'd met my father's attorney at an office upstate. The man gave me a booklet detailing all of my father's finances, holdings, and properties. He was a millionaire several times over. I'd glanced up at the attorney as I read through the booklets, asked him how my father had made all this money when he had been poor last I knew. The man shrugged with a smile, said my father had been lucky over the years and made a few good investments that paid off big. 
Said he'd known him for 20 years. My father was a great man. <laughs> Didn't look great when I met him. His eyes were wet and weak as he looked at my face, judging my reaction to his opening gambit at reconnecting with his long-lost son. I faked a smile and nodded. You look older. How you doing? Is the pain bad? Father shook his head. Nothing the meds can't handle. Main thing that bothers me is not being able to get out of this thing. He patted the arms of the electric wheelchair he sat in, his lower half covered in a thick woolen blanket. Two months ago, I was jogging five miles a day, and now I need help wiping my ass. I shifted uncomfortably. I wanted this over as soon as possible, but I knew there would be some expectation that I stay for a while if he was going to give me anything in the will, possibly even try to rope me into sticking around until he died. Even with all the staff and nurses, he might want someone here that gave a shit. I just wasn't sure I could fake it for that long. Waving his hands, he went on, but you didn't come to hear me complain, and I have no right to bitch, especially to you. Not after I left you kids and your mother high and dry like I did. Never tried to reach out and help, even after I got all this. He lowered his gaze. I know it's cliche, but all this cancer shit has made me wake up. I know I did wrong by you, and I'm sorry. I tried to fight down the anger, but it slipped through my fingers. Yeah, you fucking are. Luke nearly died two years after you left. Mom didn't have the money for the medical bills, and what am I doing? Like you fucking care. Why am I here at all? He raised his hands. Please, wait. Just wait. We both know you're here because of the inheritance. I contacted you because you're the oldest child, and you were always good and fair. I want you, all of you, to share in all that I've acquired. My father gestured around at the massive study we were in, and I want you to decide who gets what. Your mother, Luke, your sister Lynn, you doll out the remnants of my life as you see fit. I feel like it's the least I could do after all these years. Gritting my teeth, I nodded. Fine, what do you want me to do? Hang out for a while? What will it take for us to get it? He smiled. A straight, no-nonsense question. I like that. When I just stared at him, he cleared his throat and went on. I may be a foolish man in many ways, but I'm not a fool. I know you don't want to be here, and I have no illusions that the guilt and regret of a dying man is going to magically recreate a bond that I gave up so long ago. All I ask is that you shake my hand, tell me that you forgive me, and that you accept taking on all my possessions upon death. I raised an eyebrow. Is this some kind of trick? Are you deep in debt or something? My father laughed. Hmm. No, far from it. You saw from your meeting yesterday with Anthony that I've done very well these past few years. Nodding warily, I shrugged. Okay, so that's it? I shake your hand, say I forgive you, and that I want to inherit everything when you die. That's all. Then I can go? That's all. You'll be provided a copy of the new will as you leave, and it'll be filled in probate court in the morning. You don't even have to come to my funeral. All the arrangements have already been made. He leaned forward slightly in his chair and stuck out his hand. Do we have a deal? 
I hesitated for a moment. This was all so strange. And while I could understand guilt and his impending death as reasonable motivations, I still wondered if I was somehow being tricked. But to what end? I didn't think he was faking having cancer. I didn't have anything to offer him other than a comfortable lie to ease his conscience before he passed. I glanced around the study, thought about the massive house it was part of, the other estates he had around the world. They would change all of our lives forever. How could I give all that up? Keep that kind of money and security from my family just because I was uncomfortable? The answer was, I couldn't. So I stepped forward and shook his hand told him I forgave him and that I would accept everything when he died. It was as his grip on my hand tightened that I first knew something was terribly wrong. He pulled me closer, even as he pushed himself toward me, the sudden shifts in weight sending me off balance and stumbling. I would have recovered, but his bottom half was free of the blanket now, a coiled tangle of black and green meat that lashed out and wrapped around me tightly, driving me back into the ground as I began to scream. My father pulled himself up my legs and torso, his strong hands and the whipcord legs that made up his lower body painful and heavy on me as I struggled to get free. My first thought was that he was going to kill me or start biting out chunks of my chest. I kept screaming and struggling, but I was barely moving at all now. As his face drifted down, I felt my body growing distant, as though pushed away by the tides of his dead eyes, boring into mine. He was going to do it. Whatever it was, he was going to eat me, starting with my face. Instead, he planted a light kiss on my lips. I felt my face go numb as I tried to move my head, but then it was over. Not just the kiss, but all of it. When I sat up and looked around, my father was gone. I sold off that house and all the other properties. From the start, I knew that I didn't want anything that had ever belonged to that man, that thing near my family. It was a few weeks after the last house that had been sold that I started to feel something growing inside of me. When it was strong enough, it started directing my actions when I slept, speaking to me when I was awake. Even when it was just a low hum of words scratching at the back of my head, I could recognize the voice of my father. He said this was a necessary thing for him to live on. He needed a host, and he needed to kill. He hoped that I didn't mind helping with both. I refused, of course. It only took a couple of months to realize that he grew stronger with the moon, and when it was full, he could kill no matter how hard I fought him. I begged him to stop, but he only laughed. He told me that I need to develop a stronger stomach, or if I was too weak, there was always another option. I could share my inheritance with my family. I wouldn't mind seeing your mother again. Could be fun. And Lynn's in college now, right? I could join a sorority. He chuckled. The choice is yours. I know what I'd pick. Time to see if you really are my son. I didn't answer him. There was no point because there was no real choice. He wouldn't let me kill myself, and isolating or confronting myself doesn't work. At the end of each month, I drove to a new random place. At least, I think it's my choice to do that, but it gets blurry when the last day is close. I tell myself that the randomness makes the horrible things we do more fair, like an accident or an act of God. 
and I can keep him at bay 28 days out of the month. Even on the 29th day, I try, but it's no use. His grip is too tight. I don't see my family anymore. They try to contact me, but I ignore. I stay on the move and won't respond to messages. They need to forget about me. Let me go. I don't know what my father is or what he can do, and I won't risk them getting hurt by him again. I know I'm getting to where I don't go around people much at all. I spend most of my days watching TV or sleeping, making time alone until the sun goes down, dreading how quickly the darkness comes. Because just past twilight, I feel the familiar scratching at the back of my head, like a cat asking to come in for the evening. And then it's fully awake, pushing at me, trying to shove me down, take me over until the next sunrise. Someone watching me would think it's very odd. Tired-looking young man sitting alone in a fancy room somewhere, staring into the distance with fixed concentration for hours on end. A strange but very placid scene. But inside, it's very different. It's shoving and clawing and biting. Pain and fear and dread as I feel my strength to begin to go. Every night, I fight the demon, and every night it ends with me crying and screaming as I push the thing back down for a few more hours. Most nights, it slips back into the dark nest it's made in my soul without threat or complaint. It knows the sun is coming up soon anyway. But some nights, when I'm at my most broken and alone... I beg it to stop, to leave, to end this. Without fail, it repeats the offer to share my burden with the people I love. So far, I've managed to refuse every time. Those nights are always the worst. Not because I've been lowered to begging, but because I feel so utterly isolated in my father's trap. It's because of what he does as he slithers back down inside me for the day. He laughs. It's a nasty, inhuman laugh that says, I don't see the joke yet, but someday I will. That someday I'll be laughing beside him readying myself for the next night. For the next time, someone has to fight me. I was skeptical when my online friends linked me the supposed evil Kickstarter that was going viral on the less-than-wholesome forums we frequented. We were un... We were an unmoderated haven for trolls, weirdos, and radicals, sure, but this Kickstarter was something else entirely. It seemed to have no publicly stated goal, 
The writer had only promised, quote, something awesome if the funding amount was reached. Stranger still, the rewards were all hidden except for the first level. In the Pledge $1 or More box, the text read, Want to get started? Throw in $1 and you'll receive access to the higher pledge tiers. Also, two things will happen. You will have a minor, intangible wish granted, and we will send you a video of us kicking a random stranger. Estimated delivery tomorrow. Tomorrow? Don't these rewards usually get set out after full funding? But I understood what they were going for. This was just a gimmick to get attention, and judging by the high number of backers listed in the box, it was working. Screw it, I thought. I'll throw in a dollar and see what happens. As I woke up the next morning, I trudged around the kitchen making coffee and then sat sipping at the table while trying to escape the grogginess of sleep. All I wanted was a day to myself to avoid the grinding monotony of classes. At that moment, my phone dinged. Lifting it, I saw that someone had sent me an email with a video attachment. I instantly became fully awake as I realized what this was. Opening it with trepidation, I hit play and watched. Five teenagers in black hoodies and expressionless white masks ran through an alleyway together, often looking back at the camera and laughing. When they reached the street, they made a beeline for a tired businessman on a bench, and the lead kid ran up and kicked him in the shin. Confused and angry, the businessman leapt up and began shouting, but the hooligans were already running away. The last few seconds of the video were a close-up of a white mask and dark, motionless eye holes as they fled the scene. The speaker said, This one's for you, Jason Phillips. Thanks for your $1 pledge. It would be an understatement to say I was put off. They were actually going around and kicking people in return for a dollar. I had to call the police. I picked up my phone again, moved to action by the fear that I might be liable for this, but my phone dinged again. I had a text message and email from the official college department telling me that classes were canceled today on account of a bomb threat. I sat in silence until it hit me. I'd just been wishing for a day to myself. Had these violent teenagers guessed that would be my minor wish? Had they called in a bomb threat to give me the day off? I shivered. I couldn't call the police. I couldn't be connected with this. I'd be expelled and jailed at worst. They might even look into my history of trolling online, and then I'd really be screwed. How the hell had they gotten my name? Had I been so stupid as to use my real credit card? I flipped through the logs and confirmation emails, but no. I'd taken the proper precaution and used an anonymous cash card. How had they gotten my information? No, oh, my friends. My friends had to be in on it. Of course, this was just all a prank. Well, they'd gotten me good. There was probably no bomb threat at all. The text had likely been faked or spoofed somehow. Smiling the whole way, I went to class anyway. But it was canceled. Cops were everywhere. Rather than going home, I stopped in a Starbucks and pulled out my laptop. Was it paranoia to avoid using my computer at home? Something about this seemed off. Checking the Kickstarter tier, and to try and understand what was happening, I saw that I'd been given access to the $5 tier. It said, Now that you've seen, we're legit. 
Why not up the stakes a little? Pledge five bucks, and we'll give you something tangible of your choice worth $500 or less. We'll also send you a video of us punching a stranger in the face. Estimated delivery tomorrow. I could actually feel my circulatory system in my torso thanks to the stress beats within it. It was not a pleasant feeling, but pay $5 and get something worth 500 The first thing that came to mind was that gaming console I couldn't afford. All my classmates were talking about all the greatest new games, but I could only watch gameplay videos online to carry on the charade that I had them myself. In some sense, I believed that the Kickstarter videos were staged at the end of the parts with the close-up, and my spoken name were edited onto each file they sent out. Reassuring myself, I pledged $5. I drank more than my fair share of beer that night with my roommates. Trying to pretend like everything was fine, I forced smiles, told some jokes, and one of my friends mentioned that I seemed strained, but I laughed it off and said it was just the stress of upcoming finals. The beer helped me sleep, but I awoke with a start and ran downstairs as the morning light shimmered through the windows. There was already a package on my doorstep. It was addressed to someone named Ricardo Jimenez, along with a note that read, Happy birthday, son. I opened it, but I already knew what it was. Someone else's gaming system had been diverted to my address. As I opened the box, my phone dinged and my blood ran cold. Were they teenagers? They were thin and lanky under their black hoodie and blue jeans, but their masks hid any identifying features. Watching them run, I noticed their gait seemed odd, and I steeled myself as they burst down a different alley and ran at a haggard mother pushing a baby carriage. I screamed at my phone, no, but it was useless. The lead hooligan ran straight at her and popped her in the side of the face with a punch that took a straight line. From that... I knew they were the same height as her. I absorbed that fact to counter the horrible feeling that I'd caused this to happen to some unsuspecting mother on the street. Again, a mask filled the video view for the final sequence. Thanks for your $5 pledge, Jason Phillips. I hope you enjoy the games. The gaming system found a new home in a dumpster five blocks away from my apartment. I couldn't keep it, not after what I'd seen, and I certainly couldn't sell it without confirming intent for any police that might be chasing these guys down. On the walk back, I took a roundabout route, and I eyed every car around me with suspicion. No one seemed to be taking note of my presence, but why should they? To the real world, I was just a random college senior. They had no idea what I did or said online. Classes blurred by. I could think of nothing else but the Kickstarter. I knew I would see another pledge level if I looked again, but I feared what I would find. Between classes, I tried to contact the friends that had linked me to it. None of them were responding. I was still half certain they were somehow in on it, but the feeling this whole thing was giving me... I just couldn't be sure anymore. My resistance lasted two days. Ostensibly, I was checking to see what the mysterious goalless Kickstarter was ending but I couldn't help but glance down and see the $10 tier. For your amazing support of $10, we will free you from an intangible chain that's weighing you down. We'll also send you another one of those videos you love. In this one, we'll non-fatally stab someone just for you. Estimated delivery tomorrow.
stab someone? Jesus Christ. But an intangible chain weighing me down? God, my student loans. I hit the pledge button without letting myself debate further. My student loan debt was over $80,000 and it represented a lifetime of tithing servitude that I would never fully repay, not with the way the economy was going. Wine was my friend that night rather than beer. I sat watching pirated movies online until the sun came up, not bearing to think about what I'd done. At the same time, I very much needed this to be real. When the student financial service offices opened, I was there. As I barged in the instant the clock hit the hour, a blonde fellow student looked up in surprise. Can I help you? Yeah, I, I, I need to check my uh, debt balance. I tried my best to look calm, but I guess my tears restraint just made me look that much more suspicious. My name's Jason Phillips. Uh, here's my student ID and papers. Sure, she said, taking my paperwork and turning to her computer. After a moment of typing, she began to precise. If this is about payment, you can go to our... She stopped typing. Oh. Looks like you have zero balance. Barely able to keep myself from shaking in my sneakers, I clarified. No debt. I got paid off. She shook her head. No, you've never taken out a loan with us at all. You're enrolled, but the registrar's database says that you paid in cash every term. From what accounts? I asked, forcing a nonchalant smile. Oh, we don't have access to that here. She gave a small laugh. I'm just here through work study. Is something wrong? I'd kill to be debt free. My phone dinged in my pocket. Don't say that. I told her far more seriously than I intended. Don't say that. Out in the hallway, I sat and watched the video. The same five black-hooded, white-masked thugs were running through an alley. As they emerged onto the street and headed for a bald teenage girl in a shirt that read, I stood strong, I fought hard, I won, I closed the video and put it away. I couldn't watch it. I recognized that kind of shirt from my father's own struggle with cancer. The shaking wouldn't stop, and I imagined I was bright red from the absolute chaos going on inside my chest. Oh God, I was free of the debt, free of the weight of $80,000 that had racked up when my father's illness ate my college fund. I was free of the debt, and I was happy for it. I was happy. Meanwhile, some teenage girl that had just survived the unthinkable was about to be stabbed in exchange. My only consolation as the spit and tears plopped on the floor by my sneakers was that the pledge box had specified non-fatal. Are you alright? It was my turn to look up in surprise. It's not often that someone comes in freaked out and sad that they have no debt, the blonde girl from the front desk said. Something's the matter, isn't it? After studying my face, she sat next to me. I'm Kelly. Jason. I told her, unable to look her in the eye. Why don't you tell me what's wrong, Jason? It all spilled out in one long, babbling wave. The Kickstarter, the pledge tears, the bomb threat, the kick, the gaming system, the punch in the face, the canceled student loan debt. She sat and listened to it all, wary. After I was done, she nodded once, narrowed her eyes, and then said, Show me the video. 
It was not the reaction I was expecting. I'd been braced for disbelief for having the cops called on me. Instead, I asked, Are you sure? It's just show it to me. She took the phone and watched without visible reaction. After I heard it say my name and thank me for the $10 pledge, she said, Well, they stabbed her, but I think she'll live. I finally found myself able to look at her. Now that someone else knew, I wasn't so gripped by terror and self-loathing. You're not scared? I don't know enough to be scared yet. Do you have the other two videos on this phone? Yes. Here. She watched the previous two with the same calculating gaze. Once they were over, she said, They always originate out of sight. Why is that? And who exactly is doing the filming? Tonight, let's get these on a bigger monitor and watch for reflections. These look like random city streets. There's no way they've got all their angles covered, and if they do, you know it's fake. After a sigh and a nod, I told her, I have a desktop computer at home. Two big monitors. You a computer science major? <laughs> yeah. Alright, here's my number. Text me your address and I'll come by after work and classes. Taking my phone back with a sense of dumbfounded shame and hope, I asked, Why are you helping me? Maybe I'm one of them, she said with complete neutrality. And this is just a way of secretly getting closer to you. I laughed nervously, but she returned to the student financial services office without taking it back or even hinting that she was joking. Something about her deadpan attitude made her seem trustworthy. Or maybe I was just desperate to have help in this. But I have no other option anyway. That night, I sent her my address, and she showed up with a laptop of her own and sat at my desk alongside me. I loaded up the videos on my large monitors, and we began to go through them frame by frame, staring at every single blur and corner. Hackers of some sort, she guessed, drinking from a very large fountain soda she brought. You'd be surprised the kind of information they can get online. Oh, I'm no stranger to hacking, I replied, feeling much better now that I had an ally. I basically live on the internet. Career no lifer here. But this is a whole nother level. Calling in bomb threats, redirecting mail, canceling debt, and all without any police attention that I've seen? These guys are good. She glanced up at one of the tabs in my browser above the video. You frequent that form? Red-faced, I quickly closed the tab. I I'm not a brony, I swear. I was just trying to get info on these guys. I believe you, she said sardonically. There was nothing in the first or second video, even going frame by frame. Could just be unlucky, she commented. Load up the third one. I glanced over at my small digital clock. Are you sure? It's almost two in the morning. I'm sure. There's something here. Again, I had to ask, why are you helping me? She looked me straight in the eyes, which I found was rare for her. It's a mystery. Don't you want to solve it? They're hurting people. My heart was beating fast again for many reasons. This is messed up. They're halfway to their fundraising goal, and I don't even know what will happen when they reach it. Could be some sort of terror attack, she mused. But that doesn't seem right. 
These guys have some sort of moral code lurking behind their cheery shenanigans. They're giving you things, but they're also hurting people. Before we look at the third video, what's the next pledge tier? I opened up the Kickstarter and stared. It said, Pledge $25 and we'll get you something tangible that will go a long way towards happiness and freedom. Our video offering here is also pretty kick-ass, pun intended. With this tier, we'll send you a video of us kicking someone you know. Estimated delivery tomorrow. She looked at me. The cost of violence appears to have gone down. Yeah, but now it's someone I know, I said with hesitation. What does that mean? What level of being familiar with someone means I know them? Do they mean my friends online? Classmates here? The choice is yours, she replied, still neutral. But that seems like a small price to pay for more information. A fourth video would help, along with seeing them in action once again. That's true. I've been thinking that myself. Before I could second-guess the decision, I clicked on the pledge button again. She gazed around the bedroom. Nothing happened. Well, yeah, it's not immediate. Then let's go over this video. We began going through the third video frame by frame, looking for any hints of editing or angles that might show something that the five masked, lanky figures had missed. And I lost all feeling in my limbs for a moment as I finally saw it. Pointing, I drew Kelly's attention to a reflection on a passing car window. Five black hoodies and white masks could be seen, but... There's nobody filming, she said with confusion. That's where the camera should be, right? Yeah, I half-shouted. There's the pole that they just passed on the left. Where's the cameraman? Where's the camera? While I got up and began to pace back and forth in a panic, she sat in her chair, staring down at the desk and murmuring to herself. Hacking, coding, digital alteration buried for us to find. They want us to be scared. They didn't make a single mistake in the first two videos. Why now? They knew we'd comb through and find it. It's all part of the gimmick. Yeah, yeah, that has to be it. But to edit the reflection on glass on a moving car so perfectly, she continued, rocking back and forth slightly. It's amazing. She snapped out of it, then looked at me. It's too late to walk through the city. I'm staying here tonight. Just like that, one confusing terror drained out of me to be replaced by another. Okay. She slept on the other side of my bed while I remained awake. I was getting increasingly fatigued, but I was far too tense to sleep for many reasons. Morning came as a gradual gray lighting, and I sat up wearily just as the sounds of a loud and heavy truck began emanating from outside my window. Kelly awoke and popped up instantly with no sign of exhaustion. Together we went outside to see a heavy-set man operating a winch to lower a sports car into the pavement. You Jason Phillips? Yeah. Got some ID? I showed him. He grunted. Car's for you, kid. What'd you do? Get all A's and your parents bought you a car? This one's an easy hundred thousand. Must have been some tough classes. Staring, I said nothing. He handed me the title after I signed something on a clipboard, and... Suddenly, I was the owner of a new Lamborghini. 
The delivery man knew nothing of interest, only that the order had come in online and cleared, and I was left to sit in my new sports car while my phone dinged every so often to remind me I had a new video. This didn't do it for me. I didn't care about a car. I wasn't really that material. Except, what else had the tear said? Something about freedom? A car meant the ability to travel. With a car, class would no longer be a 20-minute walk away. I could give rides to people, curry favor, impress girls. I look over at Kelly, who was studying the title in the paperwork. Did this kind of thing impact her at all? Nothing seemed to phase her. But I was not nearly as stoic. The fourth video immediately began in a dark gap between two houses, and the five white-masked perpetrators ran across the street toward a house I recognized. As they broke in the door and the sounds of my mother screaming reached my ears, I watched in abject horror as the invaders broke into my dad's at-home medical machines and began brutally kicking him until he was crawling on the floor. Exact grammar was important. The first tier had said one of them would kick a random stranger. This later tier had simply said the video would be of us kicking someone I knew. I hadn't paid close enough attention. My jaw began trembling as I watched the five run from the house laughing. Jason Phillips, thank you for your continued donations. What is it? Kelly asked. Through the open car window, I handed her the phone in silence. She watched it calmly. This is great. Great? I screamed. Did you see what they did? Yes. They entered a place they did not control, and by the color of the sky, it looks like they literally just did this. They'll have screwed up this time. They didn't give themselves a chance to edit the video. Get inside and get this on your monitor. Wiping away my tears, I did as instructed, and we began going over the fourth video frame by frame. It was gut-wrenching to see my father beaten so brutally after what he'd already survived, and to know that I did that. It was something I could never apologize for. Kelly said, the Kickstarter's almost at its goal. Glancing at my other monitor, I saw only a sliver remaining to be filled. It was me, wasn't it? It was counting down for me. I kept finding excuses to gain things at the cost of others, and I kept finding ways to feel confused or surprised about the result to shrink responsibility. It had clearly stated what would happen in each tier. In fact, while Kelly continued studying the fourth video, my eyes strayed to the fifth and final tier. Are you ready for the change? Pledge the maximum amount and we'll reach our goal. Untold wonders await our most devoted supporters. We'll also send a video of us killing someone you know. Don't worry, it won't be a family member. Estimated delivery... Immediate. Untold wonders. What could that entail? They'd already done such incredible things, but they'd all been within the realm of possibility via computers and social engineering so far. Next to me, Kelly gasped. They missed one. They missed a reflection. She grasped my arm, but I kept staring at the pledge button. Untold wonders. They're not human, Jason. Jason, look, you have to look. My hand floated to the mouse and I moved it to the pointer, over to the pledge button. 
I had an idea of who would be sacrificed if not a family member. Kelly seemed like a great person, strange in some ways, very caring in others, but did I really value her as highly as whatever these untold wonders were? I didn't know her that well, but yes, yes I did. She was human and she was alive just like me. This wasn't some anonymous person on the internet that I was slinging insults at. This was a real person, and I understood now that they had always been real people behind the monitors somewhere in the world. God, I'd been a terrible person. The stress of my father's illness and the pressure on my finances and family had pushed me in a dark direction, a direction I now had to resist. I let out a sigh and released the mouse. The spell was broken. It was over. The madness was over. No more, I said with a sigh of relief. I can't go down this road any further. It's just not right. I turned and froze. The ominous black mauve gun barrel had been pointed to the back of my head. And it was now directly touching the bridge of my nose. She slowly withdrew the weapon and slotted it into an unseen holster. Still eerily calm, she began to walk away. What was all this? I called after her from my seat, my mind racing from the adrenaline. Jesus, was this a test? She paused at my door. Without looking back at me, she said softly, Yes. A test for admittance. And you failed. Her gaze turned slowly toward me. Now that she was no longer putting on an act, I understood that her expressionlessness was that of an animated corpse. But I'm glad you did. You wouldn't like it, where we're from. With that, she was gone, and I was left to quiver in my chair, process what had happened, and stare at the one reflection the editors had missed in the fourth video. The face of the cameraman. It was a hollow-eyed, maggot-infested, sneering visage. It was a face that would haunt my nightmares for the rest of my life. It was my face. Almost. Almost.